You know, I, I, I thought about this title here of uh, from, from Death Rules into, into Life Reigns. And as I was thinking about it, the, the word quality of life, the phrase quality of life came to mind. Well, how would you define a quality of life? I mean, probably every one of us might have a different definition of what is your, what is a good quality of life. I looked it up naturally, and the kind of the standard definition was it's a standard of health, comfort, and happiness that is experienced by an individual or a group. And it sounds kind of sterile to me. And then I, I dove a little bit further, and it talked about that um, sometimes quality of life is just your perception. Like you don't have much, and you've got a roof over your head, and maybe something to eat, and you don't have much more than that, but you think you're rich. So, you know, it could be about perception. It doesn't necessarily have to be about things. And then uh, others mentioned that, that it's about finances, that if you're, you don't have enough money to go around, that you feel like you don't have the quality of life that you would desire. And some say it's about finance. Some Others say it's about safety. If you don't feel safe, maybe in your own home or in your town or, or maybe in the nation you live in, that, that would dampen your quality of life. Somebody else said the quality of life has to do with how you can exercise the desires that you have in your heart. And if you feel restricted or restrained in exercising your desires, that, that you don't have a really good quality of life. Well, today we're going to compare the quality of life that Adam gave to us versus the quality of life that Jesus brings to us. And having said that, there's no comparison. I mean, what Adam, what we inherited and got from Adam doesn't even compare to what Jesus brings to us. I don't know how we can, but we're going to try today as we walk down through, really just following the scripture of what Paul outlines. I, I kind of, you know, walking through this passage today, I kind of side with Peter. And Peter says in his, his book, he said, he, he actually literally states, Paul is difficult to understand. <laughs> and I think that that's hilarious. If Peter has a rough time understanding Paul. How much less we do 2,000 years later in a different culture? I'm like, man, I agree with you, Peter. Paul's challenging to understand. But we're going we're gonna to wade in, and the Holy Spirit is going to help us. Amen? Amen. Let's jump in this morning here in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Now the thing that captures me in that opening verse is it says that sin entered the world. So what that tells me is sin existed but had not yet to enter the human race. We all would probably understand that Satan rebelled against God and God kicked him out of heaven which is simply disobedience from God. We call that sin. So we know that sin exists but it says that it hadn't entered the world yet. It was hanging around, but it had not entered. Now, Adam and Eve made a choice. And that word entered is actually in the Greek language. It's in the middle voice, which means someone has to participate with it in order for it to come in. And that's what happened. Adam and Eve participated in disobeying God. And as a result, sin entered the world at that point. Up until then, it was just hanging around, but it didn't take root until they made a decision. They chose, 
and that's a result. Now, if you've ever read Genesis chapter 3 and 2 and, and what took place during that time, it, um, it, it means that, that when, when sin entered, how does it affect us? Now, what are, what are the things that it actually impacts us because we live under or in this law of sin and death? And the thing that I thought about is that when you live under this law that we inherited from Adam, sin and death, it wears you out and it wearies you out. Meaning, you're just worn out because you're trying to do it on your own without God's help and the help of other people can provide and that's never enough and sometimes it's not enough and sometimes other people don't know what they're doing and they try to advise you to do what you should do and they don't have it together in their life. It just wearies us out. That's the effect of the law of sin and death. It just wears us out. It wearies us out because we can never get to the place where we quite overcome. We just don't quite measure up. And if you've ever read the, the story of creation and when Adam and Eve actually sinned, what's the first thing they did? Well, they were fearful and they hid, but then they blamed each other. Instead of taking personal responsibility for what they did, they actually blamed each other and blamed the serpent and blamed, they blamed other people. Well, we kind of get that, don't we? Because we participated in the same. We're like, you know, it's easy to blame other people and circumstances and things rather than really take responsibility for ourselves and what we contributed. There were other forces involved, such as the land all of a sudden started growing weeds and thistles and thorns. You like weeding your garden? No, that's probably why you don't have a garden, because you don't like weeding. Well, that's a product of the fall. It wears us out. It wearies us out. I don't know anybody that goes out and pulls weeds and whacks thorns and feels happy when they're done. No, it wears us out. They prick us. It's no fun. Again, that's a product of this living under this law of sin and death that we inherited from Adam. So just a recap here. Originally, we were invited in... <clears throat> But now we have a nature that we inherited from Adam that wears us out. Sin opened the door to death. And just as sin has a lot of different ways that it affects us, death has different ways that it attacks us as well. It weakens us. It fractures our understanding. It skews our relationships. It separates from each other. And ultimately we get separated from God. That's what death means, separation. Ultimately, we are separated from God. How did this all take place? A note there I have for you is that Adam disobeyed a command. There was a clear command that Adam disobeyed. Adam and Eve were uh, clearly in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. It says, the Lord God commanded the man... You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, when they ate the fruit, whatever it was, they didn't drop dead at that point. Actually, a better translation would be, dying, you will die. That's really what the word means. It doesn't mean that they dropped dead at that moment, but they started because they, they, they received this law of sin and death into them because of disobedience, they started dying slowly. And then eventually they died. They, you know, they passed on. But that's what happens to us. In fact, we were 
inherited that from Adam. So dying you will die. That's what it should render. It's a slow process which we that in this world, we age, we, we get that. We understand. Sometimes we don't have the, the, the energy that we once did. I guess I'm speaking of myself. You're probably all fired up, but that's just me. Now, the, the, the interesting thing is that Adam wasn't the first one to sin. Eve was. And so sometimes that she's the one that's blamed. But First Timothy, actually, Paul in another, another letter points out that Eve was deceived. Therefore, Adam chose. Eve was deceived, but Adam chose. He knew the command. She knew the command. They both were held, they both sinned, but God held Adam responsible. He said, you are the pattern of the human race. You're the first one made. You are the pattern. And so then Jesus comes back and he changes that. Now, the fact is the seed of sin that was dropped into Adam because he sinned didn't die when he died. That seed that was put into him of sin was then birthed into every human being that is born after Adam and Eve. So we have the seed then within us of the law of sin and death. Every human being except one. His name is Jesus. We'll talk about the distinction and the difference between how he was different from Adam than how Adam was formed. So we inherit it. We, we inherit sin by three different ways. Three different means which we inherit this law of sin and death from Adam. Let me read Romans 5, 13, and 14. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. Now what that uh, really conveys to us is there was no written law until, up of, uh, until Moses came and he gave us like the Ten Commandments and beyond. There was no written down law. In other words, from Adam to Moses, there was no written law that said, Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not have other gods before you. That was not written anywhere for them to see it and understand it. What was happening is that they were being guided by their conscience in an inner moral conscience. That God put in every human being. And we cited that earlier in the book. That God says because you have a conscience. And because you have an inner moral conference. You are without excuse. We could say well I never knew the law. Well no you're without excuse. Because even though the law wasn't written. People still murdered. People still cheated on their spouse. They committed adultery. They served other gods. They stole things from other people. Even though there was no law written. It's just in us. It's in our nature. And that's what Paul's trying to get at here, that we, again, we sin because it's in our nature, not that there's a law saying that we should or shouldn't do a certain thing. And Adam is the pattern of that. But since there's no written law, then they couldn't charge them with breaking the law. For instance, if you were riding down a road, 
that didn't have a speed limit posted, could you still have a wreck on that road? Well, sure you could. You say, well, I can't have a wreck on that road because there's no posted speed limit. You're like, you're crazy. No, you can have a wreck on that road just because there's no posted speed limit. In the same way, you couldn't charge people with breaking the law because there was no law written down. And yet they still did it. It was in their hearts. It was things that they opposed God in. And that's an example of the law of sin and death that is uh, activated with us when we are born. So there's three ways that, we, that sin enters us. Through birth, through nature, and by choice. Through birth, through nature, and by choice. Psalm 51.5 says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. That's David writing that. Nature. Ephesians 2.3 All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires, thoughts, like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath. Paul talks about the fact that we have a nature within us that's opposed to God. So we sin by birth, we sin by nature, and we sin by choice. Romans 6, the next chapter, 19, Paul says, I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves to slaves as, to, as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. In other words, Paul says, you used to make a choice to sin. Now make a choice to obey. That's basically what he's saying, that we have a choice in the matter. All right, so there's kind of the spiritual history of where we came from and how we were born into this world and what we received from Adam. Now let's look at the new race in Jesus, all right? Let's bring some good news to the grave situation. So number two, the spiritual history of the new Jesus race. Here we go. In verse 15, it says, But the gift is not like the trespass. For if many died by the trespass of one man, how much more? Did God's grace and gift come through the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow into many? Wow, this is such an amazing passage. Again, I introduced last Sunday this phrase, how much more? That's based upon the fact that Jesus is living today. Lots of times we talked about what we received because he died he died to set us free. He died that we might place faith in him, that we could live. He died, and we talk about Jesus' death. But this phrase is related to the fact that he's living. How much more he has for you because he's living than it as if he just died. It's amazing to think about. How much more? And so that's what God brings to us in his grace. As we look at Jesus, we see this. Jesus was born righteous full of grace and truth. Jesus was not a son of Adam. He was born the son of God. What does that mean? He was born of a virgin woman who had never had sexual relationships with a man. She got impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Jesus did not have the genes of an earthly father. Therefore, he did not have inherited guilt, corruption, nor was he 
predisposed to a sinful nature as we are. It, it was not, so his birth was different, his nature was different. And then what he did as he lived through his life, he showed us that we could always make the right choice. We could always make the right choice. Because choice is our struggle. And when we receive Jesus, we're born again. We are born again. And the, the passages that I have there um, kind of go with the fact that the angel came and told Barry that she was going to be overcome by the Holy Spirit and she's going to get pregnant by God. The word of flesh comes in John 1.14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only Son who came to the Father full of grace and truth. So that was his nature, full of grace and truth, the nature of Jesus. So then the obedience of Jesus broke sin and death's grip. The obedience of Jesus broke sin and death's grip. He didn't, Jesus didn't break the choice barrier. He chose to always do what his father wanted. Therefore, you and I, having received Jesus, being born again, and now with a different nature, you and I can still make that same choice that Jesus made. Lots of times we preach a crippled gospel. We preach a gospel that I'm barely hanging on, and I'm barely going to make it, and I'm barely going to overcome, but I'm losing. That's not the gospel that Paul is preaching here. Paul is preaching a gospel that we were created to reign. And that's where we're going this morning. And it has to do with this word grace that I'll continue to unpack as we go. Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he did not sin. I don't know what area you are tempted in, or whether or not you think that you just have to give in. But Jesus didn't, and if you have Jesus into your life, therefore you also can say no. Again, it's with his grace that we'll unpack as we walk through. Romans 5.19 says, For just through the obedience of one man, many were made sinners. So also through the obedience of one man, many were made righteous. Ryan, I need your help here for a little bit. If you would uh, come up here. And um, so just... You can stand there for just a second, and I'll tell you what to do, all right? So just pretend I'm Adam, and I disobeyed God. So what happened is that after I lived, then everybody else that was born after me, this represents the population of the world after Adam, they, they were born with a sin nature, and they were born with this law of sin and death active in their life. So when Jesus came into the world, now you match your hands with mine, all right. So when Jesus came into the world, he took all of these that were declared unrighteous, declared sinners, and what did he do? He actually then, now turn around, he actually then, now do the same thing, he made them righteous. Okay? So Adam took 
made everybody unrighteous, and Jesus came and touched us, and now everybody on the other side is made righteous. And so Jesus is the one that turned that from being unrighteous to righteous. And now everybody that receives him, again, the population is made righteous. Give Ryan a hand. He did a great job. So we are reborn. Notes there. We are reborn. Our nature is replaced. And our only struggle is choice. That's all that's left. That's good news. John 1, 12 and 13. Yet all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. 2 Peter 1, 4. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. That's what happens. We get Jesus, we get the divine nature. We get to participate in the divine nature that is given to us through Jesus. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And finally, in Hebrews 12, 4, it says, Your struggle against sin... You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Do you understand that when Jesus was in the garden, he was, he was being tempted to make a choice to stop and not go through with what the Father wanted to set you and I free. And it says that in his sweat pores, blood came out. That's resistance, isn't it? Man, I've never been close to that. I'd give up before I get to that place. But Jesus was so willing and so committed that when that choice was, was, he was being faced with, he stood, I mean, he, he stood and he called on the grace of God to come, even with blood coming out in his sweat, to not make that choice so that we could be set free. Wow. That's amazing when you think about it, but that's what he did. Tempted in every way that we are and yet without sin. Now we're going to look at five comparisons. Finish up this chapter with five comparisons between Adam and Jesus, even though they're not equal. All right, We're going to compare, but we're not really comparing apples to apples. We're comparing what Adam gave us and then way beyond what Jesus brought to us. So in chapter, uh, verse 16, chapter 5, it says that... Um, nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. So even Paul writes, you can't even compare what Jesus brings versus what we inherited from Adam. It doesn't, doesn't balance things out. It doesn't neutralize things. It makes it so much better that it's hard to even describe. Jesus didn't just break the power of sin and death. He didn't, he didn't just break this weakness and burnout. He released a power of grace that pushes out the power of sin and death in our life when it tries to visit. And that grace is released through the Holy Spirit. All right, let's look at these, these five comparisons. First of all, we find that Adam, death reigns 
And in Jesus, grace and righteousness reigns. Look at verse 17. It says, For if by the trespass of one man death reigned, that one man, how much more? There we have it again. Jesus is alive. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? You and I are called to reign. That's what he's given us. Not to cower, not to run, not to bust our way out our way. No, we're called to reign. And that's what we've been given in Christ. In Adam, the human race will experience guilt, condemnation, and death. But in Jesus, we are made righteous, we stand in grace, and we reign in life. What Jesus offers is not the opposite of what Adam dealt us. It's so much more. It's so much greater. I was reading a book by Harold Everly called Grace to Reign, and he really zeroes in in Romans 5, 6, and 7, maybe even to 8 a little bit. And he was talking about a time when he started ministry, he and his wife, and uh, they were kind of thrust into this setting, a small church setting, and then they started uh, just uh, bringing life to it, and people with addictions started coming and getting set free, and the old guard started rising up, the religious started rising up in the church because they didn't want to keep it sterile. They didn't want messes. They didn't want people being set free. They didn't want testimonies. It just rise up. And so it came to a church split. And then about that time, uh, they got pregnant, had a son. The son had a medical condition and drained all their finances. And he said, I'm, I was just a mess. I didn't know what to do. I couldn't fix people. I couldn't fix the church. I was worn out. I was, I was fading away. I couldn't even get out of bed to have devotions and pray. He said, I was just wiped out, worn out, done. Didn't know what to do. And then this thought came. Why don't I let God love me? Instead of me trying to work for God and try to work to love God, why don't I let God love me? So he said for the next couple of weeks when he woke up, Just laid in bed. Said, God, love me. Love me. Wow. I don't know if we know how to do that very well. We sang it this morning. The Father wants to come and love you. Is that a new thought? Is that a foreign thought? Is that a challenging concept? I mean, I've, I've, I've... been there to the place of being worn out and I've also been to the place where I've just stopped and said God just love me and as a result of doing that then there was a grace that flowed into Harold's life he said suddenly after a couple weeks I was energized to get up and go again and now I realize it wasn't about me it was all about him if God was going to fix people it wasn't my intellect and my abilities and my counseling skills it was going to be Jesus there was a new energy, energy, energy. It was a new focus that came back to him just because he stopped and let God love him. Now, that's something that I think we as a church, maybe not Crossroads, but we as a church need to work on and work out. There's definitely something key in that. He goes on to say that he thinks that trees are smarter than people. 
Because as all trees do is they just stand and receive. They don't run out and look for the next conference and look for the next prayer group and the next prophetic word. They just stand and receive. And as a result of receiving, they bear fruit. And they bear good fruit. Trees just know how to receive. See, they think they're smarter than people. Because we're taught to give. But there's a time that we just need to stop and receive. And our giving will be different. Number two, second comparison. Adam. One sin brought condemnation. Jesus. One cross brought justification. Wow, that's good news. One sin brought, con one sin brought condemnation. In Jesus, one cross brought justification. Look at verse 18. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in the condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. There is no sin too bad or no sin too many that Jesus on the cross didn't die for and justify you. Meaning, just as if you hadn't committed it. That's powerful. His grace is given to ease that. To erase that, rather. Most of us operate at the level of guilt. And then we also understand, or we sort of move towards mercy, which is forgiveness. So most of us in the Christian world, we understand guilt and we kind of operate or move under guilt, wondering when the next, you know, it's going to, shoe's going to drop or the, you know, whatever that we're going to get punished by God. Most of us understand that and sometimes a lot of us live that way. And then we try to move towards mercy, which is getting God's forgiveness in that. But the question is, do we understand what it means to stand in grace? Because that's beyond the guilt, that's beyond the mercy, that's standing in grace. I know this is an old example, but just work with me. You're speeding through a town. The cop stops you, and he comes up and says, uh, why were you speeding? And you give some lame excuse. And he says, well, I'm not going to accept that excuse. I'm going to give you a ticket. That would be leveling. We we're guilty. We expect to have the wrath of the policeman upon us, Right? Because we were guilty. Now, change again. Perhaps he comes up and he said, this time, you know what? I'm not going to give you a ticket, which you deserve. I'm going to give you a warning. That would be mercy. All right, we're going to give you a warning. And then, again, you can go on. We, we would say, thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for forgiving me because I deserved a ticket. Third scene, he comes up. He doesn't give us a ticket. He gives us a warning, but then he says, now I'm going to give you $10,000. I'm going to Venmo you that today in your account. Thank you for visiting our town. That's grace. Did you deserve the $10,000 in your Venmo account? No. Did you expect it? No. But he gave it to you. Now, if you think about the fact you went in that town speeding and you didn't get a ticket, and you got a warning, and they gave you $10,000 for visiting that town, what do you think that, what's your thoughts about that town now? You're like, I'm going to go back. I might even move there. 
Wow, what a generous place. If the cops are giving out money, wow, who else, you know? That's grace. Are we there yet as a church? Are we there yet as individuals? Hmm, maybe we've got some growing to do. Third comparison. Adam disobeyed and made us sinners. Jesus obeyed and made us righteous. Verse 19. For just as through the disobedience of one man, many were made, right, many were made sinners. We saw that exampled here in the illustration. So also through the obedience of one man, many will be made righteous. I, I want to key on this, this, this phrase, many were made, were made. What is, what is really unpacking that? Some other words we could use is many were made sinners and many were made righteous. We could use the word caused. Many were caused to be sinners. Many were caused to be righteous. Here's another word. Many were pushed to sin. Many were pushed to be righteous. Here's another phrase. Many were declared sinners by birth, by nature. Many were declared righteous because we had a rebirth and a nature replacement. Declared righteous. Wow. Amazing what Jesus brought to us. Adam disobeyed. It makes it... <clears throat> Natural and easy for us without Jesus just to go ahead and sin and don't care. But after Jesus moves in, things become different. There's a delight that's put in with us about obeying Jesus. Not a duty, not a have to. It's a delight. I want to please my Father. I want to please my Jesus. It's a delight that's put in it. That's when you know you're standing in grace. John, 1 John one nine says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I love how that ends. Because it says, if I confess what I know on Free Me Day, he's going to erase all the things that I've forgotten about. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Isn't that good news? That's how Jesus works. We do what we know, and he takes care of what we've forgotten about. That's amazing news. So again, you can see this comparison between Adam and Jesus is not, not quite the same, for sure. Verse 20, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased more. The law doesn't make us sinners. It only identifies What's right and what's wrong. That's all it does. It doesn't make us sinners, nor can it change us. It only identifies what is there, classifies. I love Titus 2, 11 through 14. talks about grace. It says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Talking about Jesus. It teaches us to say no. Grace does. Jesus does. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great, of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us 
to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. That's a powerful passage there in Titus about the grace of God. And so we see here that as, uh, as the law is in operation, what it does, it actually causes us to disobey and to get weary and worn out. But when the grace of God is in operation, it actually causes us to reign in life. I've got two balloons with me this morning. And I hope I have enough helium in that tank to do what I need to do. Otherwise, we'll just get out the ladder and never mind. So I'm going to fill this blue balloon with my air, Adam's air. All right? Now, hopefully I left enough to get it sealed. I struggled last service getting it sealed. But uh, second time around, somebody volunteered to help me, and I said, nope. I did it myself. Okay, that went fairly well. Now, I filled this balloon with my air. Uh, if I let go of it, which way is it going to go? Oh, why do you know that? Smart air, gravity. Okay, you're giving great answers. You know, no, I could, I could try to keep this, bouncing this thing up. I can try to, you know, put it, try to keep it, keep it up in the air and taking it up. But it, it just naturally wants to go down, doesn't it? And so I let go of that thing and it's just going to go down. And, and if I keep bouncing that thing up, what's going to happen? I'm going to get wearied out, right? I'm going to get worn out and wearied out trying to keep that thing up. It's my air in the balloon. So now we get some Jesus air. Okay? So let's see how we do here. I, I do have an extra tank. So I'm, I am prepared. But we're going to see how this... Oh, yeah. We're going to get some Jesus air here. Right. Nice. I think it's done. But that's all we need. Unless we have a third service. Not today. Okay. Get it. Get it done here. Yep. Come on. Ooh. Got to get my finger out. Now we go. All right. So, Jesus hair. Born again. Nature replacement. Now what's going to happen to this balloon if I let go of it? You think so? I mean, I can try to keep it down. Try to keep it down. That takes work to try to keep it down. But what's it going to do? It's going to go up. See, we're called to reign in life. So we get Jesus' air. We're called to reign. We're called to go up. We're not called to go down, let go, go down. We're called to go up and reign in life. But we need the Jesus' air. We need the grace in our life in order... To do that, we can't put our air into it. The ball's going to go down. We're going to weary out. But when the Jesus air comes in, then we reign in life and we go up. Amen? All right. Love that picture. You'll walk out of that and remember that a little bit. You'll forget everything else I said, but you'll remember that. Let me talk to you about a fee, uh, to Ezekiel 36, 27. 
He writes this in the Old Testament, but it's about the coming Holy Spirit in the New. And he says this, I will put my spirit in you and move you. We could add the word cause you or push you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. That's what's going to happen when the Holy Spirit comes inside of us. It's going to cause us to want to obey him. It's going to push us. It's going to move us to want to obey him. That's grace in operation. Wow, what an amazing Jesus we have. Let's stop presenting a crippling gospel. One that says you're barely going to hang on, you're barely going to make it, just, just hold in there. There's nothing you can do. Just grin and bear it. That's not the gospel that Paul's presenting here today. He's presenting one that says you've been born again. You have a different nature. And you have the power of God's grace to say no to what you need to say no to. And yes to what you need to say yes to. To benefit you and others around you and to glorify Jesus. And that's where we want to go. That's what the world is looking for. A church that is willing to believe God at his word, to believe that what Jesus brought us is better than what we have or was born with. And that's what Jesus does. You can't compare what Jesus brought versus what Adam handed us. And so today, I just I feel like that what I presented to you today, that you would just love to have more grace in, in your life. <clears throat> Excuse me. You see... If you, if you operate out of, out of guilt, then basically you're just going to get worn out, condemned. If you make it to mercy, which is forgiveness, then what's going to happen, if that's the level you stay, you're going to live in fear, you're going to mess up again. If you live in condemnation, you know you messed up. You're walking around beaten. But if you make it to mercy, which is forgiveness, you, you, you understand God's forgiven you, but you live in fear that you're going to mess up again. When am I going to mess up again? God will forgive me. When am I going to mess up again? When you step into grace, then suddenly you're like, even if I mess up, I'm going to learn from that mistake. I'm not going to make it again. Because God is going to show me that he's already forgiven me, that I'm free. And even though I make mistakes, even though I sin again, make some, wake up some religious spirits here. Even if I sin again, it doesn't make any difference. Uh-oh. Well, yeah, there's consequences to things we do. We get that. But we reach this place where we're standing in the grace of God. That whatever happens or whatever the enemy throws, we still stand. We say, I don't care what's in front of me. I'm going to reign in life. It's like if you had a, had a dam that was your obstacle in life. And behind it is water that is piling up behind this dam. And whatever seems impossible to you, there's always water piling up behind it. And it always goes over the dam. And that's grace of God. There's more water. There's more grace that is in front of you, of that thing that's impossible, there's more grace just running over that dam in order to crush it eventually. And that's standing in the grace of God. And that's what happens when we get Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is the one that delivers it to us, lives inside of us, and says, now live in grace. So I just have this thought that
We'd like to move out of condemnation or guilt. Move through mercy and stand into grace. Would that be a good idea? So if you're in, just, uh, I don't want you to stand up. But I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer with me if you like. And uh, you can repeat after me. And then when we finish, I know it's a good moment to celebrate. I get that. Because it's so good. But then I'm going to ask you to become like a tree. And just take a few moments and just receive from the Lord what we've just prayed. Okay? So that's where we're headed here in a couple of minutes. And we're, we'll be finished. Say with me this prayer if you like. Father, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for not giving me what I deserved. Today I choose to move into grace. Because you called me to reign in life. Not just hang on. So today... I choose to receive your grace, the push of the Holy Spirit, to say yes to Jesus and no to sin. You've called me not just to overcome, but to be an overcomer. Fill me now with your overflowing grace. I receive more grace now to reign with you in my present circumstances in Jesus name now let's just take some time take a deep breath after what you prayed just receive 